Welcome to the East End Fellowship Podcast. East End Fellowship is a community of Christians located in Richmond, Virginia, with the goal of seeing every person become a disciple of Jesus and live in the joy and justice of God's kingdom. Our spiritual family meets weekly in house churches and on Sundays at our large gathering. The following is a teaching from our time together. We hope you feel encouraged, challenged, and delighted by what you hear. Good afternoon, you all. I, I've been really excited to be able to preach with you all again. I, ha, I get asked, and most of the time I say no because I feel overwhelmed. It's a big responsibility to prepare. Um, but I feel very excited to share with you all. And the last time I preached was a sermon that ended up being very significant in my own life. So uh, we'll see what God does with this one. Today, we are going to be continuing our series on I Am, looking at who God describes himself to be. And we're going to be looking at a specific metaphor that God uses, which is the potter. And I'm not sure what you all think about pottery. The first thing that comes into my head is uh, thinking about one of my songwriting interns years ago. We would do this exercise the first day of the internship where they would write down and share like their favorite art forms that connected most deeply with them and then the ones that they connected least with. And one of my interns, when we were getting to that section, second question, just blurted out, pottery. And we're like, oh, okay, you really don't like pottery. Um, and it was amusing. But it reminds me that pottery can often be thought of simply for its utility rather than for its artistic formation or its beauty. And uh, pottery, I mean, it actually impacts our life on a daily basis. Open your kitchen cabinets, take a look. Perhaps your plates and bowls are not objects of beauty for you, but you likely have other items in your home that are. Maybe that's a vase, a decorative bowl or plate. Or for me, it's teapots. Uh, I used to have a huge collection of teapots. I got really into it uh, when I was a kid. I don't know why, but I did. And I whittled it down over the years, and it's one of the first things people notice when they come into my house. So if you look at this picture here, uh, this is the view walking into my house. It's a lovely array of teapots. And for me, these vessels are beautiful. I love the variety of shapes and sizes. I don't really use them. They're, they're just for looking at. They're beautiful. And uh, that's their purpose for me, beauty and diversity. Now, most of us cannot make a beautiful piece of pottery. Perhaps we have a basic idea of how it works. Maybe you've done it you know, in school at some point. But I think it's helpful to look over the process as we seek to understand what it means to be a potter and what it means to be clay. So let's start with Jeremiah 18, which reads, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I think it's important that Jeremiah was instructed to go somewhere and watch before God told him what he was going to tell him. He could have been like, hey, I've got this metaphor for you. It's pretty cool. 
But instead, he said, go to the potter's house. Oftentimes, the message is made more powerful when we can connect it with more of our senses. So put yourself in the position of Jeremiah, take in the sights and sounds of the potter's house, just for a moment. So we're gonna leave this video on in the background for it to continue to be a visual for you all as we talk about what it means to be the potter and the clay. And we're gonna to return to the same passage from Jeremiah 18, but a little bit later. So pottery is a skilled art. This guy knows what he's doing. When making a vessel, first the potter has to prepare their clay. Or some professionals, I found out, even find their own clay in nature and then prepare it from scratch. And one of the things that's important to know is there is no such thing as perfect clay. Uh, potters don't go out expecting to find perfect clay, nor does God the potter. Dealing with the junk in the clay is just part of the formation process. It's part of the job. God is good with that part of the job. Then the potter sets an intention. The potter says to the clay, I know the plans I have for you. Now, there are many different types of clay, and they produce different results. They are worked with differently. Some may even say that different clays have unique personalities. And the potter doesn't try to force each piece of clay into the same shape, but instead works with both function and beauty in mind. I imagine that if you opened God's kitchen cabinet, that you wouldn't find just plates or just bowls. Just like the concept of the church as a body with many separate parts, God the potter has created with a diversity of roles in mind. So God has a plan. Then next, the potter molds the clay. When creating a vessel, they often must work from the inside out, reaching their fingers into the center of the clay and pulling it outward to take shape. Similarly, God the potter works in us from the inside out, forming us as vessels who ultimately can receive and pour out. And then the potter allows the vessel to dry and puts it in a kiln, heating it to high temperatures that's gonna cause the clay to set and remain durable for a long time. And I think we can imagine this in several ways within this metaphor. First, you could say that we're constantly being shaped and formed throughout our lifetimes and that judgment day will be the kiln that will set us perfectly as God's vessels for eternity. That's one way to look at it. You could also think of it as God having created us, but if we choose to remove ourselves from the potter's wheel, we begin to harden, and it takes considerably more effort to get us back into pliable clay that can once again be shaped and reformed. Or you could say God the potter creates each of us perfectly, and over time, as we experience life, we become worn, get chipped, or even are broken in significant ways. Regardless, God the potter gives us our identity and our purpose. These are not things that happen through our own power as the clay. Isaiah references this in Isaiah 64, verses 6 through 8, which says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, 
We are all the work of your hand. The word in the Hebrew text that declares God as potter is a variation of the word yatsar. Not a word that I knew before, but it generally means to form or fashion. And it brings up this image of a potter who has the intelligence and the power to form his creation. So God is this master potter who had the image of a man within his mind and has the power and the intelligence to bring that image to life. Now, can anyone guess the first place where this word shows up in the Bible? Genesis? Specifically, where in Genesis? Genesis 2. Yes. It's first used in Genesis 2-7, and it reads, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This passage also includes another word that I taught last time I preached, which uh, here it says breath, but would be the Hebrew word ruach. Does anybody remember what that word means? The spirit, the breath, wind. Uh, It's used in reference to the Holy Spirit. So in this passage, we see God operate as the potter for the first recorded time by forming a man out of the dust of the ground. Perhaps it's more useful to think of the dust of the ground as wet. In fact, the verse right beforehand says, streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So God is using dirt or clay to mold this man. So God forms the vessel and then breathes the spirit into the vessel, making it a living being. And this is where the metaphor diverges. A normal potter cannot breathe that sort of life into his vessel. But we are a unique kind of creation, one that is shaped and formed by God, but then given life. Life that will allow it to make choices that distort it from the vessel it was originally intended to be. And I'd like to argue that we can see each member of the Trinity operate as God the potter in a unique way, although interconnected. God the Father forms the vessel. God the Father declares who we were created to be, the way we look, our personality, the purpose God has for us within the world, and his hands form us from the inside out. Then the Holy Spirit animates the vessel, helping it live into its purpose and reflect God's image in its own unique way. I believe when we talk about God continuing to shape and form us, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. This work is happening within us and helps us come back into alignment with who God created us to be. So we can be in the shape of the vessel, but we've still strayed from our purpose, maybe, or we've forgotten our identity. The Holy Spirit continues to form us inwardly back towards God's original intentions. And then there's Jesus, the Son, who shows up in a new way that we don't see with God the Potter exactly in the Old Testament, but you're going to have to wait a minute on that one. So until this point, we've talked very individualistically about us as individual vessels formed by God the Potter. But God the Potter also forms communities, cities, nations, systems. So let's return back to Jeremiah 18. This is a word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? 
Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. A little bit dark, but we're going to keep going into Jeremiah 19. And this is what the Lord says. Go and buy a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and of the priests and go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom near the entrance of the potsherd gate. There proclaim the words I tell you. And to paraphrase, at this point, Jeremiah declares these words of warning and then he breaks the clay jar, smashing it. And he says to them, This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and this city, just as the potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. Talk about a visual. There's a serious visual used here, and it's a pretty daunting one. Uh, In this passage, God proclaims himself as the potter and Israel as the clay in his hand. And if Israel could submit itself in humility to the potter's process of molding and shaping... God would not crush them, but this does not seem to be their trajectory. This harsh imagery declares the importance of being moldable. This is important as individuals and as communities. And here at East End, we can position ourselves to be moldable in God's hand. A moldable community knows that it is being specially sculpted to be a part of God's body in the world. And if we forget that we're the clay and God is the potter, we can get sidetracked from the identity and purpose that God has given us as a community. We could begin to think too highly about our own power within our broader community or lose sight of the vision that God has provided for us over the years. It requires humility and accountability for us to remain moldable. So the first question we should ask ourselves as individuals and as a community is, are we moldable? Now, going back to the Jeremiah passage, God is warning Israel that if they continue to go astray, he can smash them back down into the ball of wet clay that they started as, and then build Israel back into something brand new. And that's both a scary and a hopeful concept. If all else fails, God is always able to remake us into something brand new. However, I can't help but think about what God does with creations that crack or break. Is the only option to grind them down and begin anew? Or can God mend them? Sometimes the world breaks us down. Maybe we experience loss, abuse, betrayal, debilitating sickness or disease. These things break the perfect vessel we were created to be. And we need God to maybe put the pieces back together again. Or perhaps we make a decision that is so significantly against who God created us to be that something breaks. It's not just bent out of shape, in need of remolding, but something has shattered. 
we need God to put those pieces back together again. This is where I believe we see the third part of the Trinity, Jesus, show up as the potter. And we will call him Christ the Kintsugi Master. Now, who all here is familiar with the Japanese practice of Kintsugi? A good number of you. Okay, so this has been a very popular spiritual metaphor within Christian communities in the last five or so years. And instead of explaining it myself, we're going to watch a video. Just like it was important for Jeremiah to go to the potter's house and see before he heard from God, I think witnessing the practice of kintsugi is more helpful than just hearing about it. So we're going to take a moment to watch this video. The world is predicated upon mending what is broken. And this reality of how the Kintsugi bowl is more valuable than the original uh, really speak to the uh, restorative, redemptive process um, of the gospel. Kintsugi is this art form of mending. Uh, broken shards of pottery. Kin means gold and tsugi means to mend. So you are reconnecting the broken pieces, but doing it in a way that is, that is beautiful and uh, it's an art form of its own. Kintsugi speaks about conditions of trauma and brokenness, ground zero conditions. Valuing what you have rather than this disposable culture. Kintsugi is not just fixing, but it's, it's creating into an opportunity um, of brokenness. And so that is a redemptive journey uh, that leads to new creation. Creative minds are fixed upon these traumatic events in history. If you removed all of the novels and art forms that <clears throat> came directly out of trauma, you would lose 80% of world's art. Um, you would not have Hemingway, you would not have J.D. Salinger, you would not have Dante, you would not have Milton. The world would be decimated. It's a very significant way of understanding art and literature um, and and more importantly, our communities and our, our, our way of processing um, the past, finding healing, um, to be able to sow seeds of hope in the midst of conflict. We tend to want to run away from these conflicts and traumas, but it is the very heart of what the arts represents. Kintsugi reminds us that Sometimes, instead of throwing away things of the past, um, that it's, it's good to work to mend um, and to do it beautifully. To me, how the Gospel reads is Christ came not just to fix us, but, but to restore us to create something new, um, which is more valuable than what we began with. So that's the practice of Kintsugi. It is a pretty amazing practice. And um, I wanted to show you this image here by Paige Payne. And it's a beautiful way of showing what it might look like for Christ to do Kintsugi on us. 
Jesus in his ministry on earth, I believe, was drawn toward broken people and broken spaces. He offered both spiritual and physical healing to those who sought him. He did not erase their past, but healed them in a way where their past became a sign of the miraculous. In Mark 5, Jesus comes across a demon-possessed man who lived among the tombs. People had tried to chain him, but he would break the chains. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, the scripture says he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now when Jesus casts the legion of demons from this man, the man is restored to his right mind. And the people are amazed and also a bit terrified. And the story finishes by saying, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This man's horrifying story becomes a testament to the power of God. Christ, the Kintsugi master, can turn the ugliness in our past into streams of gold that reflect God's glory. It's as if Jesus' blood binds our brokenness like a stream of gold in a Kintsugi vessel. It's a gift to be broken and then beautifully mended. I love that uh, quote that Makoto Fujimura makes in that video where he says, Christ came not just to fix us, but to restore us, to create something new which is more valuable than what we began with. Furthermore, Jesus himself was broken, not because of any sin of his own, but because he took on the sin of the world. When Jesus is resurrected, he still bears the wounds of the crucifixion. The disciples are stunned as they're able to put their hands in his side. Jesus embodies Kintsugi as he displays his own scars. So God the potter both mends and molds. But while God is always molding us, I think we can only be mended if we acknowledge our brokenness. This is what makes it difficult to be mended. We can shy away from our brokenness and shame, not recognizing the beauty that God can create in us through our brokenness. So let's not forget that God molds and mends not only individuals, but also communities, cities, and systems. I already shared what it looks like for East End to remain moldable, but what does it look like for us or for any church community to be mendable? I think first we must acknowledge the truth about our brokenness. This may require confession and repentance with questions like, where, are, where have our decisions created cracks that need supernatural healing? What might happen if we boldly proclaimed our brokenness and allowed the city to see our cracks now filled in with gold? Perhaps it is better to be broken and beautifully mended than simply perfect. Will you pray with me? Lord, um, thank you that we're not perfect. Uh, God, it's, we're the clay. We don't know what we're doing. Uh, we thank you that you have constructed us into beautiful vessels with identity and purpose, and um, that you're doing the same things in our communities and the systems around us. God, I just pray that you would keep our hearts open to being moldable and mendable that you would give us the boldness to acknowledge our brokenness as people and as a community so that we may experience the beauty of your mending. 
God, there is such promise in uh, the fact that we don't have to, to be perfect. We don't have to be spotless. That actually, when you cover us, there's something bigger beyond our, us that, could, that, that witnesses to the world around us. Um, and God, help us to trust in that rather than sinking into shame. God, I just pray that um, as we go from this place today that you would help us think about how we can be more moldable and mendable. Um, That you would show us where you want to be the potter in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We appreciate you tuning in to the East End Fellowship Podcast. To see the full video of the sermon you just listened to, and for the best way to get in touch with us, check the show notes for all of our social media channels. For more information about how you can get involved with our community and to sign up for our newsletter, please visit eastendfellowship.org. Thanks again for listening.